When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Hello and welcome to our summer series on the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Campbell. And if you're new here, welcome. Throughout our summer series, we're going to give you some super actionable tips and tricks throughout the month to get your finances in fighting form for the year ahead. Stay tuned throughout the month of January for episodes on savings hacks, career tips, income stocks, and much more. Today, I'm chatting to Shelly Johnson, the founder of Boldside Consulting, HR expert, host of the My Millennial Career podcast, and author of the wonderful Sort Your Career Out book. In this conversation, we're going to talk about some actionable career tips to set yourself up for success in 2024. Shelly, welcome onto the podcast today. That intro was so good. You are like (laughs) such a pro. And I was just thinking the long uh, intro of all the things for me, it feels like my mum might have wrote it a bit, like of all her proud achievements of her daughter. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> going to pump you up. <laughs> I love it. Hey, I'm so stoked to be hanging out with you. And thanks for coming into the studio. You're not normally in Melbourne. I know. This is so magic. And when we're talking about careers this year, there's lots of things going around people's heads in January. Do they stay? Do they go? Do they ask for a pay rise? Do they pivot in a new direction? Do they study? What are some of the things that if we want to start thinking about what our career looks like this year and if we want to make some changes that you would suggest reflecting on in January? I think we need to reflect back on the previous year that was and go, what were the highlights and what were the lowlights? 
Like, so what did I love? And what things do I think, "Mm, we could do that a bit differently? Because that's usually where you find the learnings. And if you can focus on what did I learn? What do I want to do differently this year? It's really important to be intentional with that. Because if we don't be intentional, we don't really get the opportunity to grow. So I just make sure that each person creates the space in the first little bit of the year to think about, okay, what do I want to do differently this year? That's probably a really good exercise because if you're thinking, what did I learn? And you go, "Mm, I don't think I actually learned anything. I just did the same thing all year. There wasn't really any development opportunities. That might be a sign that you want to change something up. 100%. That is such a good call out. If you go, I I learned nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I just did exactly the same thing every day. Yeah, great call out. Um, And I know we wanted to talk about different career tips this year. So, I've asked you to come up with 10 and that is a big job. So thank you for coming to the table on that. So we'll jump into them. I know the very first thing you've got on your list, which I'd love to hear more about is play big and take a risk. Yeah. And the reason this is number one is because I think this is one that people struggle with. So I don't know about you, Kate. I have been talking to a lot of people who struggle with imposter syndrome. And one of the things that they find challenging is how do they take a risk in their career. So it might be you're looking at a job right now and you can see the application criteria and you think, oh, I meet a few of those, but I don't meet all of them. I'm not going to apply. And I think my advice to you, if that's you, play big and take a risk. Because what is the worst that can happen? If you apply for a job, you don't meet all the criteria. Well, guess what? Most of the applicants don't meet all the criteria. (laughs) Like they don't. And so if you can just meet 60% of it, you need to put your hat in the ring because if you don't, you're not going to get the opportunities that are going to take your career to the next level. And so my advice to most people when they're weighing up, should I put my hat in the ring or should I kind of stay back and wait for the thing to happen is always take the risk. Yeah. I guess no one's going to apply for you. No one's going to do the thing for you. And employers just sort of write, I've seen people write down their wish list for criteria and putting it on job ads before. And it's very much, oh, this is kind of the things I do. So I'll just put that down. There's, especially in smaller businesses and there's not a hiring team. It's usually just the person going, oh, this is the kind of things I'd like. Yeah. Or they've Googled, what does an, <laughs> a job do? It Like, what does an account manager do? Oh, that sounds about right. I'll put it on there. But then they meet someone they're like, okay, that person doesn't tick all the boxes I had in my mind, mm. but I really like them. They have a learn, learning and growth mindset and so I'm going to give them a go. And I think there's so many examples I've seen in HR where the person who kind of comes out of left field is the one who ends up landing the job. So definitely look at 2024 and think about how you can take good risks. Is there any time you wouldn't want to take a risk? So you said maybe if you meet 60% of the criteria, if you maybe met some of the criteria but not others, would there be any situations where you would maybe not take the risk? Yeah, there's examples when I wouldn't take the risk. I mean, let's apply this if we get really down into the detail. You're not going to apply for a job as a doctor when you don't have a qualification. (laughs) That's what I was thinking about in the back of my mind. (laughs) There's like examples where we just know common sense. Yeah, you're not going to do that. The reasons you wouldn't take a risk, I think, relate more to have a look at the culture of the business. So you might say that job ad looks really cool. That that opportunity looks like something that really appeals to me, but I have this vibe that the culture at that workplace might be off. I would really listen to some of those intuition moments that you have. And I wouldn't take a risk when it comes to team culture, 
Because I think the thing that people get attracted to is often they get attracted to the dollars. So like, well, that job's similar to what I'm doing right now, but it's paid 15K higher. I'm going to go for it. And they get in there and they're like, holy crap, no wonder this is paid higher because it's an absolutely miserable place to be. So those are examples where I would just caution sometimes your intuition or your gut vibe, I know people might like contest that, but I think it's really important to listen to those signals when it comes to what is the team dynamic like here. Mm, I remember at a previous job, I actually said, I want to come in and meet the team before I accept it. Because if you just get, you go in for the interview, you get shuffled off into a little room. You don't really get to see the conversations happening, see the dynamic. Do people actually talk to each other? Do people like each other? So it's good to really know who you're working with. Exactly. All right. The next one you've got, ask for what you want. Yes. Ask for what you want. These sound so simple, but I think a lot of people, Kate, are afraid to ask for what they want. So you might want a pay rise this year, which I think most people do because of cost of living. You might want a pay rise. You might want to ask for a promotion in your current workplace. You might want to ask for more working from home days. Whatever that looks like for you, if you've had it on your mind for a while and it's just been lingering in the back but you're, you're afraid to ask, I want you to take a step and set up that conversation. So start to ask for what you want from your boss, from your manager. People don't do this enough. And I think it all comes down to the way that you frame the conversation. So some people do it better than others, right? Like you don't kind of drop the bomb on your manager to be like, hey, I want to like 20% pay rise today. Like we don't know, we don't want you to go in like that. But what I do want you to do is how do you frame up these conversations to set you and the business up for a win? Because it's not just about you. You Mm. also need to make sure that you're setting the business up for a win that you're working with. Because when they get a win out of something, you do as well. So I think we need to make sure that that dynamic is at play. But let's say you're my boss. And one of the things I've wanted for a while, so for the last six months, I've felt a bit bored in my role and I haven't felt like I've been learning. And Kate, I start to think, oh, okay, well, I I reflected back on 2023 and I realized I didn't learn anything. I didn't learn much. So it must be time for me to take on a new challenge. So I come to you and the way I frame this conversation up is I would firstly set it up by going, hey, Kate, can we have like a one-on-one chat in the next couple of weeks whenever you have time or let's go get a coffee or whatever it is. I schedule the conversation. So I don't just drop the bomb on you of asking. Then I say, I'd love to talk to you about my role and about my future here. And then we have this chat and I say, hey, I've been thinking about my role and I'd love the opportunity to step up into exposition. Do you think that's something that could be on the cards for me in 2024? And then I put it to you and you kind of start to know, okay, this is what Shelley wants. And then we have this conversation around, okay, well, yes, this would look like you needed to do X, Y, and Z in order to grow and develop. But if we don't, if I don't actually ask you, you don't know, like you're not a mind reader and no boss is a mind reader. If you don't ask them for the things that you want, then they're not probably going to identify that for you. So I need to give you the opportunity to speak into it and say, okay, here's what I'd love. What do you think I need to do to get there? So instead of being like, I need this now, it's okay, here's what I want. Here's the kind of time horizon I'm looking for. How does that fit in with what you know is going on in the business? Because you see more as my boss than I do. And that's how I'd frame up these conversations. Whatever it is that you want, whether it's a pay rise or not, I think where people go wrong with asking for a pay rise is that it's always immediate. 
And if you kind of set that up as like an immediate expectation, it can be hard for your manager to accommodate that because they've got budgets, they've got all these things going on in the background. We really need to consider, okay, where, how would this fit in with your timeline based on what you know is going on in the business? Mm. And so framing it up in that way, it the goal of any of these conversations is to help that person say yes. Like you want them to lean in towards your request. So the framing is really important. The way that you set it up is really important. Yeah. And even having more regular meetings, I know that many companies, they don't talk until it's something like a pay rise or redundancy. And so suddenly putting a meeting in your calendar, it's like, oh, something's going on. And so do you recommend people having more regular catch-ups with managers, like once a quarter or? Uh, I definitely think 100% (laughs) needs to be more than once a quarter. I recommend to any of the clients that I work with, so I work with a lot of businesses doing HR stuff, and I'm telling managers, like, you should be meeting with your employees once a fortnight, like one-on-one. So half an hour once a fortnight catch-up or 15-minute once a fortnight catch-up. But every manager, good managers know the career goals of their employees, so they should be asking. Now, if your manager doesn't do that, you need to be the one communicating, hey, I love working here. Here's what I want for my career. I'd love to be able to help this business succeed in the long term. Here's how I think I can do it. So if your manager doesn't ask, you be proactive and tell them what you want, but make it a win for them and they'll be more inclined to say yes to the thing that you're asking for. Love it. Coming to the table with solutions. All right, number three, get a mentor. Get a mentor. I want to ask you. Do you, ha- do you have someone in your world who you would consider a mentor? They might not know that you think that, but do you have someone that you look to and you think, oh, they've really helped guide my career? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I wouldn't call her a mentor. I guess I call her a friend yeah. now. But um, yeah, someone from a few jobs ago who I've sort of talked to about career stuff ever since. Yeah, so I love that. I don't think we need to put the label, the mental <laughs> you label. You are my mentor. Yeah, because, you know, do you remember in primary school where people would do that question on a piece of paper where it's like, do you like me? Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like I kind of think sometimes mentoring is like that. It's like, will you be my mentor? Yes, no, or maybe. And it feels like it's really formal. I don't think mentoring needs to be like that. I think mentoring relationships can be exactly what you described. Someone who's had an impact on you who you value their advice and you consider them a friend. And they've had at various moments in your career, you've called them up and be like, oh, this is happening. What should I do? I want every person to have in their corner someone that someone that does that for them. And some what makes a good mentor is someone who can give you the hard truths. So it's not just a cheer captain, which is awesome, right? Like I'm like, I get find yourself one of those 100%. But I think what makes a really good mentor, and my old boss, Deb, she was this for me. I remember I was in a particularly like a rough spot in my career and I called her. I was making a really big decision and I just said, I'm, I'm really terrified. Like I'm doing this thing, freaking out. What should I do? Like what decision should I make? And it's a lot of pressure put on her to be like, tell me the decision because it was a really high stakes, big decision when I was starting my business. And she just said, hey, like the advice I I have for you is you need to back yourself. Like you need to back yourself and if you don't take this risk, you're you're probably going to regret it. And you've been talking about this thing for a while and I think you need to take the risk. Whatever happens, like you'll be able to deal with that, whether whether it fails or doesn't. 
And so having her voice in my corner, like giving me that wisdom, also kind of saying to me when she saw me do weird things, like, hey, I don't think that's aligned with mm. what you want to be doing or where, where you want to go. I, I think a lot of people don't have that type of person. They might have the one that's always like, yeah, do this, like go for it, but they're not the ones that are helping them navigate really complex situations or giving them those hard truths that I mentioned. So I want you to find a mentor or have mentoring moments in your career where you find people who can kind of give you the insight you need at the time that you need it. And a good friend of mine, Rowan Dredge, he talks about this idea of mentors he's never met. So there might be someone he listens to on a podcast or there might be someone that he has seen do a TED talk. And if you can find that, like you, it might not be a person in your life, but you might listen to voices that speak wisdom and like good truths to you that you need to hear. So definitely important, get a mentor. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful starting point because often people come to this and go, I, I don't have anyone. I can't contact anyone from my last job. I don't have anyone in my friends or family that could fill that role. So using someone that you haven't met, so they don't even need to know that you're learning a lot from their their videos um, or their podcasts. And then slowly you can start to look for who could that person be in my real life. Totally. And Kate, you would be that person to heaps of heaps of listeners. And I think that's where you forget that when you run a, a podcast with so many people who love what you do. But your voice gets, and so it's really powerful. And the only flip side I'd have to this is find a mentor and be someone's mentor. So be this person for someone else. And I think that is a really valuable thing that you can take away. I love it. All right. Number four, take ownership. It's on you. So don't outsource your career. Take ownership. I love that. I love that for finances as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's such an important reminder. And again, this is like one of those hard truths. People outsource their career to a lot of other people that shouldn't take ownership of it. So I see employees do this all the time. They outsource their career to their employer and they go, you know what, it's on my employer to make this opportunity happen for me. And I just want to tell you, unfortunately, it isn't. It's not on your employer. It is on you. So take ownership over your career. Now, I want you to work with a manager who helps you grow and helps you identify all the opportunities, but not every manager is going to be like that, which we know because, you know, there's some managers who really don't care. Yeah, they don't want to be managers. They just did it for the money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I want you to take ownership. Don't outsource the responsibility to someone else. And that looks like doing the things we've already said. So taking those risks, asking for help, and just knowing that it is on you to take control over your career. Mm. And some companies don't really focus on learning and development, and that's really then you have to take control and go, well, what is my own learning and development plan? How am I going to grow? What do I want to learn? And you really have to take the reins there because the company's not going to push you to go and do this course. It's a really good point what you said about taking control over what you want to learn. Um, Adam Grant has this really good question that he gets people to ask themselves. And he says, what do you want to learn here? So if you think about your job right now and your employer, I want you to answer this question at the beginning of the year. What do I want to learn here? Write down maybe three things. And so then it gives you purpose of going, if you're in a job where you're like a bit, feeling a bit like flat about where you're at, we, need, we can reframe it by going, okay, what do I want to get out of this? This year, I want to learn three things. Now I'm going to take those things to my boss and say, hey, this is what I want to learn here. That is a really nice conversation. If you're a manager, you want your employees to do that. Like any manager will be stoked to hear you say, here are the th- three things I want to learn this year in this job. 
So do that, answer those questions and then talk to your boss about it. That's a great reflection question as people are just spending a bit of time reading and doing things over January. What do I want to learn in my job this year? And using that when you go and have your one-on-one conversation. All right. Number five, embrace imposter syndrome. Yes. Okay. So this is like counterintuitive. I was at, we did a live podcast with My Millennial Money this week. Or last week, I can't remember. It's been a blur. <laughs> it was sometime. Anyway, we, I, someone came up to me and we were sitting down talking about their career. And she was saying that she really wanted to kind of take on this new role, but she was just like paralyzed by imposter syndrome. She's like, I'd, I'm worried about what people think. I'm worried that I'm not good enough. And this person is so smart. Like they have got two amazingly challenging degrees. They've been in their industry for a really long time. And I think imposter syndrome does not discriminate. It it gets all of us. It gets the smartest people, you know. And I was looking at her thinking, you are so smart. You are so talented. And yet you're crippled by imposter syndrome. And I think what I was reflecting on with her was this idea of, you know what, if you don't have that feeling of imposter syndrome, you're probably not in the growth zone. So how can we start to look at imposter syndrome as a positive? So I've started to, to reframe it in my mind. I'm like, if I feel like I am out of my comfort zone, that I don't have what it takes, I'm probably in the growth zone. And that is a good spot to be in your career. So if you have imposter syndrome, I want you to start to reframe and go, this is a good thing. This means that I'm growing. This means that I'm learning. Like I am kind of pushing the boundaries on what I thought I was capable of. And that is something so powerful that I think not enough people see it and go, you know what, that's that's cool. That is a good thing. If I feel like I'm in the comfort zone all the time, I'm going to get bored And no one wants to be bored at work. Like work's already hard enough as it is. It's like, I don't want you to be bored. I want you to be challenged and growing Mm. and feel like you're doing things that you never thought you'd be able to do. Yeah, I love that reframe. So instead of thinking of imposter syndrome as I shouldn't be in this room, I should be in this room and it just means I've got things to learn and challenges to face. Yeah, and it means that I am putting myself out there, it means like back to number one, that I'm playing big and I'm taking a risk. So for her, we just started to really dig into that of how could you see that as as part of your growth and see the resistance that you feel? Because I would describe imposter syndrome sometimes as this feeling of resistance. Like you feel like, oh, this feels like I shouldn't be here. I I feel like that pressure. like when you go to a party and you don't know anyone and it feels all unfamiliar. Terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) All the Doesn't mean you're not meant to be at the party. You got an invite, but yes, this I is a weird <laughs> No, but I love that analogy. And you're there, and you're like, "This is awkward. I don't like it." But I'm. I've been invited to be here. I have every right to be here. Mm. So imposter syndrome, embrace it because that means you're in the growth zone. Yeah, I love that. All right, number six, seek out more feedback, something we don't always like to do, especially (laughs) if it's critical. Yeah, I mean, there's this amazing Forbes article way back. I don't know who the research was by, I can't remember, but it said that 60% of employees feel they don't get enough feedback. I think it's a lot higher than that. And I think most employees don't get enough feedback, positive or constructive, So what I would love for you in 2024 is that you get more feedback because feedback is one of the key things that we need to grow. So for example, one of the things that I do, and I did when I was early in the podcasting world, was get people to give me feedback on on every episode. 
and it's just painful. And I would listen back to every single episode I've ever done. Like I've only just, it's been four years, I've only just stopped doing that. Trauma. Yes. yes. <laughs> I don't recommend listening to yourself. So, I shouldn't say trauma. It's so <laughs> painful to listen back to your own voice. But to get good at something, you need constructive feedback. And if you want to get better in your career, you need more feedback than you're getting right now. So there's a few ways you can ask for feedback. Here's how not to ask for feedback. Okay, this is what this is what heaps of people do. I'm going to pretend you're my boss. How not to ask for feedback. Hey, Kate. Do you have any feedback for me? Uh, <laughs> about what? About what? Right? So most people ask their manager for feedback in exactly that way. So they're just like, it's very open-ended. It's like very non-specific. <laughs> okay, let's flip it. Here's how to ask for feedback. Hey, Kate, I'm about to do this podcast with you for my millennial career. I'd love if you could answer three questions for me. What did you love? What would you change and what can I do differently next time? So by asking for feedback in advance, you're then going into that kind of conversation thinking about that. So it sets me up for better feedback because you've been preempted about the fact that I want to grow in that area. So then afterwards we have a conversation go, hey, Kate, I'd love to know the answers to those questions. You're like, cool, yeah, I've actually thought this thing, this thing and this thing. And then I get really practical tangible feedback. But most people don't do that. So there's a couple of ways to get more feedback. Number one, ask for it in advance. So before you do the thing, ask someone to give you feedback and give them those questions I just mentioned. Number two, I want you to focus on one specific area you'd like to grow in. So don't focus on 50 things, just one. So for me, it might be my communication and public speaking. And then the final thing is every time you get feedback, say thank you. Even if you don't like it, even if it makes you feel defensive, If you can say thank you after every time you get feedback, you're going to get more of it because you're making the giver's job easier. Mm, I can see if you you ask for feedback and immediately went on the defensive of like, oh, but that didn't, what? This is why I do that. Then they're not (laughs) going to give you feedback again because they're going to go, well, you asked for it. Yeah, totally. You have to lower your defenses when it comes to feedback. I love it. Okay. What about number seven? Address your self-talk. Oh, okay. This is really live for me and has been probably for the last six months, I started to notice, and I think we all do this subconsciously, just my own negative self-talk. Like, have you have you noticed that in yourself? Not normally, but I think I just listen to a lot of podcasts so I don't hear it. <laughs> I don't know, you can tune it out. Yeah, you probably, well, I think you can tune it out. I think that's healthy to be able to do that. For anyone who's an overanalyzer, which I am that, I think overanalyzers or perfectionists have tendencies to what do what I call ruminate. And rumination mm-hmm. is like where you get stuck in a negative cycle uh, in your self-talk. And negative self-talk has this horrible way of being very self-fulfilling. So if you start to think, I can't do this, I'm not good enough. And that's kind of what I think is links to imposter syndrome. When you have that constant thing on repeat, like if you think about it as a track mm. playing in your mind and it's this constant feedback loop, it becomes self-fulfilling. So it's really important to start to notice first, what is what am I saying to myself? And then start to notice of what I'm saying to myself, how much of it is negative? Because for a lot of people, their self-talk is very negative. And then what I want you to do is go, okay, well, how can I reframe it? So one of the things I was saying to myself when I first started my business was, I don't know anything. 
which is kind of probably true. Like I didn't really know a lot about starting a business. <laughs> but instead of – I started to notice this continual feedback loop and I said, okay, instead of saying I don't know anything, I'm, I'm going to reframe that to I don't know that yet. Mm. Or instead of saying I don't know that, saying I can learn that. Yep. So I want you to start to reframe, notice your self-talk and then find ways to reframe that to be more optimistic. Would you suggest writing those statements down and then reframing them that way because taking them out of your head and onto piece onto a piece of paper? I love that. I've not thought about that, but I think that's an awesome idea. And it's also when you see something written down, it can be a lot more confronting. Like the things that we say to ourselves can be so rough and like untrue statements yeah. or, or even if they're true, sometimes they don't serve us. So to be able to write that down and go, I don't know anything, it's like, well, actually, I do know stuff. Like, I just know a heap of stuff. So I don't know X thing yet. Yeah. And I know people suggest, like, would you say those same things to a colleague that's doing the same role as you that's a similar knowledge position? Like, would you say that they are all these things? Well, no. Why are you saying it to yourself? Yeah, that's right. There's this amazing thing called self-compassion that I don't think we use enough. And self-compassion is the compassion we extend to others. We need to extend to ourselves way more than we do. Mm. And I think working on this would be really important if you are taking that risk this year, because you're going to feel uncomfortable. You're probably going to have different things on repeat. So how can you start to change them and think of them as, what am I going to learn instead? Or how can I grow? I reckon one of the ones we could we could ask ourselves that you've just mentioned is, I've been invited to this party. <laughs> like, like, if you've been invited to do the role, if you got the promotion, you feel out of your depth. Like, I've just been I've been invited to this party. Like, I'm going to frigging show up. Yeah. And it'll take time to meet everyone and to feel comfortable. And but slowly you build your group. Yeah. You've done it before. Totally. Yeah. Sometimes you just need a sort of find evidence from your past to prove that you can do it again. Yeah, that is really important, that evidence base. All right. Number eight, make your manager's life easier. Okay. Yes. Making your manager's life easier is something that is really helpful for you in your career. So I often hear from employees their frustration with their manager, all the things they think their manager's not doing, but they often don't understand all the things their manager's doing that they're not aware of. So they don't understand all the meetings they're in. They don't understand all the stress that they have. They don't understand that they're managing three people who are causing conflict within a particular group and it's like stressing everyone out. What I want you to think about is how can I make my manager's life easier? My good mate, Shane Hatton, who's spoken on our podcast uh, quite a lot, he says this amazing thing. He says, a manager's job is to make their employee's life better and an employee gets to make their manager's life easier. And I love that concept that there's this two-way relationship and it should be a win-win. So it should be a win for the manager to get to work with you. And the way that you can do that is find ways to make their life easier. Now, it might be preempting the things that they need to know, or it might be finding things of my manager struggles with this particular thing. So I'm going to go and make sure that that slide deck is to them in advance so that they have what they need. So I want you to think about, okay, how can you preempt what they need? And then how can you show up and deliver and deliver beyond their expectations and make their life easier? Because not only does it make them happier, but it gives you more opportunities because managers are more likely to promote, reward and recognise employees who do that. I've often heard the phrase, make your manager look good or make your boss look good. Is this slightly different by making their life easier instead of just giving them all the accolades? 
I reckon it is slightly different. I also like the idea of making a manager look good. I think that serves them, serves the team, serves you. I think we forget how complicated being a manager is. And if you haven't done it before, anyone who's who's led people will get it because they're like, it's so complicated. Like people, we all come into a team, we all have all these emotions, all these uh, expectations, and we just mash all these people together and hope that it works. And what we find is that often it doesn't work or it gets really messy really quick. So I want you to think about, okay, my manager has a tough job. They don't always nail it. But I want to find ways to help them succeed because I actually, I think it's that two-way relationship. I want to help them succeed and I also want them to help me succeed. If you kind of have that mindset, that giver rather than a taker mindset, I think it really helps. All right. Number nine, which I think is super important to talk about and reflect on heading into a new year, don't stay in a toxic culture. Oh, this is so massive. I I see people get stuck in toxic cultures all the time. And it really, it's really interesting, Kate, because I think people get stuck. It's kind of like when you get stuck in a toxic workplace, you almost become desensitized to how bad it is, or you start to think that you can't get anything better. It's kind of like toxic relationships. Mm. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but if we have, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, because it's it's worth reminding. (laughs) When people are in a toxic workplace, I see them get kind of disillusioned. So they go, oh, this is how I deserve, I, I must deserve to be treated this way. And that's a, that's a really unhelpful belief. And Adam Grant says this thing, I'm going to mess it up. And I know I've already quoted him once already on this podcast, but I do love his work. And he says, how soon should you leave a toxic culture? And his answer to that question is, as soon as you can and sooner than you think. So it's always sooner than you think. Like do not stay, do not overstay in a toxic culture because the damage it does to your confidence, the damage it does to your sense of well-being and value is so profound. And I see people come out and I think about this idea of, and I, I'm not a psychologist, so I, I could be wrong here, but I think there's a thing of like work trauma where people leave these really bad environments and they come out with so much like a world of pain. Mm. And when you spend 40 hours a week in the one place, we can't understate how much of an impact that has on your well-being. So if this is you and you're listening and you feel like this is the environment you're in, I just want to say to you, you deserve to be in an environment that is healthy, where you feel valued and this is just such an important thing to not overlook. So it's, it's yeah, it can be heavy, but mm. new year, I want you to start to think about how you can be in a new environment. Yeah, it's almost more important the culture and the people than what you're actually doing in the job. Yes. Yeah, well, and there's a lot of research around the main reasons people leave jobs is because of leadership and culture. And those things are inherently linked. Like good leadership creates good culture. Well. Lots for us to think about heading into the new year. And I know you've done some episodes on toxic workplaces and what it looks like, what a good workplace looks like and what people can find if they leave what they've got. Yeah, there's, we can put a link in the show notes to some of those uh, episodes or one of those episodes on toxic culture. Okay. Now, number 10, lucky number 10, hard work, not hustle. In 2023, one of the things I just 
really didn't like was this idea of hustle culture. And I know it's been around for ages, right? It's not nothing new. But I think we need to reject the idea of hustle culture, that they're always on culture and go towards uh, what does hard work look like? And I think hard work and hustle are different. So I think hard work is where we have these periods of time where we go really hard, where we deliver something that's really challenging, but then we have periods of rest. So hard work and then a period of rest and recovery. If you think about an athlete, athletes have schedules in their season where they have peak periods and rest periods. And Jess Spendlove, who is a a performance coach, she talks about this a lot, how the season is designed for athletes around rest periods and recovery. Whereas hustle culture to me is this whole thing of like grind it out nonstop, work a bazillion hours, work yourself to the ground. And then I think it's very connected to burnout. So I want you to start to differentiate what is what does hard work look like versus what does hustle culture look like and how do you start to kind of move away from that sense of you have to always be on. And I want you to think about for you in 2024, what does rest look like? Because like rest, rest and recovery, I've had a weird relationship with it. But now I've just find, found that it's such an important part of being able to work well. Mm. How do I rest well in order to work well? And it's not just putting on Netflix at the end of each day. Yeah. Yes. So like the difference between resting and active recovery. So for me, one of the things I've realized my rest happens if I go for a walk, like, and it's like not an active walk, it's like a stroll, kind of like a meander. (laughs) But if if, if I need that to feel like rested. So what is that for you? Because sometimes the easy thing, like watching Netflix is not the thing that helps you recover. It could be cooking. It could be cooking with a glass of wine. It could be going for a walk. It could be CrossFit, whatever it is for you. But I want you to start to think about how do I do my best work? And to do your best work in a sustained way, you will need to work out how you rest and recover well. And that might involve bringing in some boundaries if you realize you've got your personal and your work emails on the same phone. So that means you're suddenly looking at work emails on the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It could be those boundaries of like turning off your notifications, of of getting rid of your email when you go on holidays. Whatever it is, you, we need boundaries to, I think you're right, to rest well. Amazing. Well, I'm going to recap the 10 things we've just covered. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to challenge you to share the number one career lesson you want people to take into the year ahead. So the first one was play big and take a risk. The second one was ask for what you want. The third one was get a mentor or someone that you can talk to or learn from when it comes to your career. The fourth one was take ownership. It's on you, so don't outsource your career. The fifth one, embrace imposter syndrome because that means you're in the growth zone. The sixth, seek out more feedback, but give people questions to answer instead of just saying, I want feedback. Number seven, addressing your self-talk and really thinking about how are you talking to yourself and how can you reframe that so it's a really positive growth-focused thing. Eight, making your manager's life easier. Number nine, not staying in a toxic culture. And number 10, think about how you can work hard but not hustle and maybe that looks like putting some boundaries on your work phone. So, Shell, we covered a lot you brought a lot to the table and I think there's something that everyone can take away today. But what 
after listening to everything, do you want people to leave with? I think for me, it's number one. I want every person to play big and take a risk in their career. You won't regret the risk that you did take, but you will regret not doing the thing. And there's a book on that, The Power of Regret by Daniel Pink. And he says that we regret the inaction, the things we didn't do more than the action we did take. So play big, take a risk with your career in 2024. And talk to me on LinkedIn if you if you do it, the route, take the risk. T- let me know how it pans out. Shell is a fantastic follow on LinkedIn if you want to learn about your career and tips on how to be a better manager and just some great resources. And you also have a fantastic podcast, My Millennial Career, which might be changing its name Ooh, this year. We have some big things happening in 2024. And one of the favourite episodes I listened to in 2023 was your episode with Tim Duggan on what work looks like and the future of work. So I'll link that in the show notes. I think that's a really good conversation. I love Tim. If you haven't listened to any of Shell's podcasts before, that is a good one to start with. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on, putting all of this together. There's something for everyone to learn and I'll put all the links to Shell's book, podcast, socials. There is so much you can learn from. If you need a career mentor that you can learn from passively, Shell is there for you. So thank you for tuning in and I'll see you in the next episode of the Summer Series. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit Get Started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no-obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. 
simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.